This podcast is brought to you by the Administrative Committee of the Presbyterian Church in America, promoting the unity, purity, and progress of the church. Learn more about the Administrative Committee and support its work at pcaac.org. This is Gifts and Graces. Each episode, we bring you a seminar, sermon, or discussion from church leaders across the country and around the world designed to promote the unity, purity, and progress of the church. All Christians have communion in each other's gifts and graces, says the Westminster Confession. So on this podcast, we help you and your church benefit from the gifts and graces of other parts of Christ's body. On this episode of Gifts and Graces, we have for you a sermon from Thurman Williams. Thurman Williams currently serves as the pastor of New City Fellowship West End, a church plant and new site of New City Fellowship in St. Louis. This sermon was originally recorded in June 2016 at the PCA General Assembly in Mobile, Alabama. Well, good evening. Before I get in, let me, let me just begin by saying what a, a great honor and privilege I feel to be able to be asked to declare God's word to my brothers and sisters. I thank you. Thank you, host committee, for your invitation. I am honored, and I don't take this lightly at all. I am so grateful. Now, if you have a Bible, please open with me to Acts chapter 11. Our text is verses 1 through 18. Acts 11 1 through 18. Now our theme tonight is inspired somewhat by my mother who's here visiting from Selma, Alabama. Praise God. Good to have you here. The theme I'm calling is making room at the table. And the idea I I had in mind is that when I was growing up, we had one of those houses that everybody in the neighborhood would flock to, especially around dinner time, because they knew that my mother would not turn people away. She would just cook a little bit more food and add more leaves to the table, but no one would be turned away. She would make room at the table for whoever would come through the doors. And that is the inspiration for our theme tonight, making room at the table. Now, before I read the text, just to set the context, you know that this follows Acts 10, which is really a watershed moment, not just in the book of Acts, but it's a watershed moment in all of redemptive history. Because an entire new people group, the Gentiles, are brought in as God had foretold in the Old Testament to receive the gospel. But what we find in our passage is not everybody was excited about that. They had to learn about what it meant to make room at the table. And so we pick up with verse 1. Here now the reading of God's word. Acts 11, beginning with verse 1. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a ch- something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. 
But I said, by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were sent to me from Caesarea. And the spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. By which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water. But you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. This is God's word. I wonder how many of you all remember a men's ministry, Promise Keepers? I guess it's still going on. Well, about 20 years ago, I was invited with uh, my pastor, Craig Garriott, um, to go to a pastor's conference in Atlanta, Georgia. And so I traveled with him and we traveled with two other pastors from Baltimore. And we went down for a pastor's conference and it was just a glorious, glorious time. But one particular night while we were there, uh, in the Georgia Dome, uh, the, the president, Bill McCartney, uh, gave a message on racial reconciliation. And during the message, he confessed his own sin and the sin, both sins of omission and sins of commission, particularly to us as African-American brothers who were there. And he said, you with you brothers, you African-American pastors who are here, I want to take some time and not only confess that to you, but I want to celebrate you. And so I'm asking all of the African-American pastors here in the stadium to come down to the front. And we're going to surround you and we're going to pray for you right now. And so they, they looked at me. I said, I'm not going down there. But they said, no, go ahead. And so I went. And it was amazing. We started running down the ramp. I was in the upper deck and we're running down towards the bottom. And you could feel the, the stands shaking and the people cheering. It was going crazy. And I remember when I got down to the lower level and came out, there were literally men hanging over in the aisles, high-fiving us, and everybody's cheering and screaming for us. It was awesome. I'm like, I didn't even score a touchdown or make a, a basket, and everybody's cheering. It was great. But then something started to happen, I think, with all of us, is we started to feel the gravity of the situation, of how serious it was. Now, I don't know what was going on in everyone's heart who was there, but I can tell you what was going through my heart and mind is as these brothers were cheering for me just because of who I am, I thought back to other times when people didn't cheer for me because of who I am. I thought back to times when people saw me coming and they weren't so excited. I thought back to times when people saw me coming and passed by on the other side of the road. 
I thought of times when people saw me coming in a store and the security guard would follow me around to make sure I'm not going to steal something. And I thought, here I am now being celebrated for who I am. Thanks be to God. But, but what started to happen is the high fives started to get more serious. They started to change to bro hugs where you're slapping it, get around the back. But then they started to change to full on embraces of the brothers as we were heading down to the front. And just before I got down to the field, I embraced one brother and I tried to let, get away and he wouldn't let me go. He kept holding on to me. And I looked in his face and I saw a broken man. There were tears streaming down his face. And he said, brother, listen, I'm from Alabama and my people have done some horrible things to yours. Now that hit close to home to me because I have family in Alabama. But honestly, I don't know what he was, what he was saying. I don't know if he's talking about his own family or his family and history or his people. I don't know. I don't know exactly what he meant, but I can tell you that he meant it. And I look back in his face and I start crying too. And I put my hands on his shoulders and I said, I do forgive you because you're my brother. And I ran down to the field and I don't even remember what happened. I don't remember what they prayed. I don't remember any of that. But I remember the interaction I had with that brother. And if it meant nothing else to the thousands of pastors who were in that room, I know that it meant something to two of us. Now, I can be charged with being overly optimistic at times, and that fits. That's just true. And even I know that all of the problems of race in America or all the problems of race within the church weren't solved in 1996 on that field in Atlanta. Even I knew that. But I was hopeful because I saw that God was on the move, that God was doing something. He was doing a work among his people to make room at the table. Now I've heard many people testify from General Assembly last year that they came away with the same sense of hopefulness and that's continued into this year. That maybe we're not gonna solve all the problems of race in our nation. Maybe we won't solve all the problems of race within our church. But there's a sense that God is on the move. That God is doing something to make room at the table for his people. God is refreshing his people with the gospel so that we might make room at the table for one another and so that we might make room at the table in this multi-everything world for those that desperately need to know our Savior, Jesus Christ. But often, you know that that feels daunting at times, doesn't it? It feels like, oh no, not another message on this subject. I don't want to talk about this anymore. I'm tired of it. I'm weary. I want to give up. I'm cynical. I'm hopeless. I don't honestly see how anything good can really come of this. Well, can God's word help us? Of course it does. What is it? How does it help us tonight? It does so by showing us three things that we'll look at in this passage tonight. We'll look at the barriers to making room at the table. We'll look at the breakthrough for making room at the table. And then lastly, we'll look at the blessings of making room at the table. Let's begin, though, with the barriers to making room at the table. And one of the things we see here is that the barriers can come from outside and inside, both from without and from within. Or maybe you want to say 
They can come corporately or individually. How do we see that? Well, in the passage. Again, back to verse 1. The apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So, when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him. The news made it to Jerusalem before Peter did. Somebody put it on Facebook and it went viral. But the circumcision party, that's those who believe not only do you need to have faith in Christ, but you also have to be converted culturally. You also have to become like us. Your men must be circumcised and you must follow our laws in order to become a part of this body. And so they're mad at Peter. Why? They say, you went in, the uncircumcised men, this is verse 3, and ate with them. That would make him in their eyes unclean because he's eating with people that they consider to be unclean. And so they criticize him for that. And so this barrier comes from the outside. But that's not the only one. The other barrier we see comes from the inside, from within Peter himself. As Peter is telling the story, he relates the vision and a voice from heaven tells him after he sees the sheep being let down with the four kinds of animals, the voice of heaven says, Peter, rise, kill and eat. And Peter says, I'm not doing that. He argues with the voice from heaven. Why? Because at least some of those animals that are listed, you find them in Leviticus 11 as animals that are unclean. And so he says, I've never done that. But then the very one who determines what's clean and unclean in verse 10 says, what God has made clean, do not call common. But then the vision has to be repeated three more times. And then it's interesting, as you're reading in chapter 10, when he finally gets to Cornelius' house, what are the first words that come out of his mouth? Well, first what he says to him is, man, get up, because Cornelius bows down. He says, you know what? It's wrong for you to deify me. But I've also learned that it's wrong for me to demonize you. God has shown me that I should not call any man unclean. He says, this is taboo. I've never done this before, but God has brought me here. And I should not call anyone unclean. So Peter had to overcome the barrier, not just from outside, but also from within himself. All right, so what do we take away? First of all, here's fears that they had to overcome were even greater than ours. Because if you think about it for them, this wasn't just a cultural and social issue. This was a theological issue, a scriptural issue. And so they, what they ended up doing ends up being in the scriptures. And so for us, even though our barriers might be significant, they're not as significant as what God overcame with them. But yet we still have them. Who is it that we are treating as common? Whom God has made clean. Who is it for us? Now you say, I don't have any barriers. Because oftentimes it's hard for us to see our own barriers. We need other people to show us that they're there. How about our corporate barriers? What are barriers to other people coming and having making table, excuse me, roommate at the table here within our denomination or within our own churches? What are the barriers for us? In the book, Heal Us Emmanuel, there was a, a church that talked about how they were predominantly white church, but they wanted to grow and, and having people of other races be a part of the church. And so what they did, because they said, you know, I don't see any barriers to people coming here. 
But what they did is they pulled in a few of their members who were minorities and they asked them, what is it like for you? What's your experience in being here? And at first people said, oh, everything's great. Because that's what we'll often say at first. But then they began to get deeper and then they heard. And I love what they did because you know what they did? They listened. They didn't try to justify themselves. They didn't say, well, that wasn't what we intended or you're just being too sensitive. They listened. And they made a change as a result to take down the barrier. What about our individual barriers? What are the things that God needs to show us in us? And we all have them. What do we have? I'll tell you one that was revealed in our own church um, last fall. We were doing a membership interview, myself and two of our ruling elders. Were, and we're interviewing a young couple who had been through our new members class and they're joining our church. And one of the things that we always ask is we say, well, what? how did the Lord lead you to become a part of our church? And the husband says, it was your preaching. And I thought, this is a brilliant young man right here. We should sign him up right now. I've heard enough. Make him an elder, for goodness sake. But he says, I need to explain. He says, when we first started coming, I found myself resistant to your teaching. And I thought at first it was a stylistic thing, because y'all got to get used to me, all right? But it wasn't that. And he began to share with us that all of his life growing up through all of grade school and high school and undergrad and graduate school, he had never had an African-American teacher before. This was the first time he was sitting under the authority of an African-American and his heart was resistant to receiving instruction from me. Now, how do you respond to that if you're me? You don't know whether to hit him or to hug him, right? Well, one, you want to hug him. Why? Because he had courage to be able not just to tell me that, but courage to be able to face that barrier and deal with it. He was ready to go, but his wife said, no, we got to stay so you can deal with this. So side application, husbands, listen to your wives. So he was willing to stay to deal with what was going on in his own heart. And when I asked his permission about sharing this story, he said, I would be honored if you share it because I want other people to learn from my sin. He was willing to deal with the barrier in his heart. Now, let me say a word to my minority brothers and sisters. Because you know when things like that happen, they don't just happen in isolation, do they? But they come in a context. They're pains on top of pains. You begin to feel the pain of when things like that have happened to you before. And you begin to feel the pain of what's happened to the people around you. When something happened and it's a perceived injustice in Baltimore or Ferguson or St. Louis or Cleveland or Chicago or Florida, you feel it like it's happened to you. And what do we do with that? We must speak the truth in love, yes, but we must forgive. Because if we don't, our hearts will be shackled with the chains of hatred and bitterness and resentment. And so we must forgive. And I confess there's times I don't want to. But then I look 
at someone that Jim mentioned two nights ago, the, the Charleston Nine. And you all have seen the report of the families as they spoke words to Dylan Roof, the, the person who took away their family members, their loved ones. And they said, yes, we want justice to be done, but we forgive you. We love you. We want you to repent and know Jesus Christ so you can have life for yourself. How can they do that? Not because there's something intrinsically great in them, but because they know deeply the one who looks in the face of his enemies and says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Knowing his love frees us to be able to look at whatever barriers we have and say along with David in Psalm 139, Search me, O God. Search us, O God, and know our hearts. Test us and know our anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in us and lead us in a way everlasting. What are the barriers that we have? The gospel frees us to be able to face them and deal with them. So that's the first point. Let's move on. And I, and I warn you, the, the other two are not as long as that one, all right? So don't, don't worry. All right. Secondly, breakthrough for making room. Now, one of the things that you see in this passage is Luke, the author, goes to great lengths to make sure that we understand that the initiative and the impetus for this breakthrough of the gospel does not come from Peter and the apostles. It does not come from a strategic plan from the Jerusalem church. It is only by the hand of Almighty God. He is the divine choreographer of reconciliation. And so what Peter does here and you see it in verse 4, is when they confront him, when they criticize him, Peter doesn't get into a philosophical or theological debate. He just gives a testimony. And he tells what God did. In verse 4, he goes back, he says, Peter began and he explained to them in order. And he just told them what God did. God is the one who gave me a vision. And then God is the one who sent people to my house. The Spirit of God is the one that told me that I should go with them. And then when I got to Caesarea at Cornelius' house, he told me what the angel of God had told him to say. And so Peter then goes and proclaims the Word of God about the Son of God. The life, the death, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says that God has appointed him to be the judge of the living and the dead. And whoever believes in him receives forgiveness of sins in his name. And we know from Acts 15 that they believe because it says there that God cleansed their hearts by faith. And as Peter is speaking the word of God about the sons of God, what it tells here, the son of God, what it tells here is the spirit of God. In verse 15, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord. How he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And seeing all of that, seeing all that God did, it brings him to a conclusion in verse 17. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? And what he's saying by implication is, listen, if y'all have a problem, your problem is not with me. Your problem is with Almighty God. 
because this is all of God's doing. So he's saying, not only who am I to stand in God's way, but who are you to stand in God's way? So what do we take away from that? What do we, how do we apply? We recognize and embrace the plan of God. This is not some political left wing or right wing or, or whatever that we're trying some sociological experiment of bringing all these races together. This is the plan of Almighty God. Ephesians 3, what is the mystery? The mystery is that the Gentiles, and unless you're of Jewish descent, we're included in that. The Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God will be made known. You see that promise in the Old Testament to Abraham. I will make you into a great nation and all nations of the earth will be blessed through you. We see it in the New Testament, in the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of who? Of all nations. And then we see at the end of the Bible, Revelation 5, 9 and 10, what does it say? Around the throne of the Lamb, people of every tribe and language and people and nation that God has gathered brought together. Now, are they saying, look at us, look how diverse we are. Are they saying, look at my culture, my culture is better than your culture. No, they're saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Salvation and honor belong to our God, to the lamb who sits on the throne. This is God's plan. And to try to oppose that plan is to try to oppose God. Now, one thing I'll say is good luck with that. Because people have been trying that since Genesis 3, and he's still undefeated. Who are we to try to stand in God's way? That's exactly what we do when we divide across these lines, racial, social, whatever it is. That was Paul's word to Peter, and that's actually kind of encouraging. Right? Peter's the one who gets this vision, but he messes up later. But how does Paul confront him in Galatians 2? Does Paul say, Peter, you, you're just a bigot racist? No. He says, you're not walking in line with the truth of the gospel. What's the truth of the gospel? That I'm accepted, not because of my race, but because of grace. Because of faith in Jesus Christ and what he's done. That's what saves me, regardless of my race, my gender, my age, where I'm from. Now, other application before we move on is how do we embrace, or excuse me, what does it look like for us to get in line with God's plan? One of the things we need are journey brothers and journey sisters. What do I mean by that? Whoever you are and wherever you are, there are some people who are further ahead of where you are in their understanding of these racial injustice and mercy issues that we talk about. And so learn from them. Walk alongside with them, because that's what Peter did. Peter took them on a journey. He says, I used to be where you are, and now I'm taking you with me so you can see how I got where I am now. And there's also other people who are behind you, and they need to be brought along to walk with you. Or are we just going to condemn them and destroy them on social media? Or will we walk with them because they're in a place that we were at before until somebody took us along. 
So that's one. We need journey, brothers and sisters. Seek those out. You have those in this room. But the other thing I would say is that we need to learn to speak in tongues. Let me explain. I'm just making sure y'all still paying attention now. Because I know what some of y'all are thinking. You're like, I thought he's Presbyterian. He's Presbycostal or something like that. Let me explain. I'm not talking about it in the sense of 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. I'm thinking about it in the way that it's used in Acts chapter 2. Do you remember what happened there? When the Holy Spirit falls on the disciples in the upper room, the people of God who have gathered from all the different lands because of Pentecost, what do they hear? They hear them declaring the wonders of God in their own languages. And why would God do that? Why? Because they could have just declared the wonders of God in Aramaic or Greek and everybody would have understood. But what was God trying to say? He was trying to say that there is no one culture that has the market corner on the gospel. But the gospel transforms and transcends every culture that it touches. But here's what it also means. It means I don't have to leave my culture at the door when I come to Christ. But God comes and he fleshes out what the gospel looks like in every culture. And so what do we do? The thing that they had a problem with here is not merely that the Gentiles came in, but that the Gentiles came in as Gentiles. But we don't have to force people to assimilate in order to be accepted. The gospel transcends and transforms every culture. God's the one who provides the breakthrough. All right, I need to go to the last thing. What if you had to choose your Bible or your job? What if you had to choose your faith or your freedom? Persecuted Christians in more than 70 nations are making those choices every day. Hear their stories and be inspired by their faithfulness every week on the VOM Radio podcast. The Voice of the Martyrs Radio allows you to hear each week from Christians who personally faced persecution or those working for the gospel in hostile and restricted nations. How do they overcome? How is the gospel advancing in the face of opposition and persecution? What inspires them to be faithful? And how can we pray for our spiritual family members in hostile and restricted nations? Visit vomradio.net or find VOM Radio on your favorite podcast app and subscribe today. Your faith will never be the same. vomradio.net We've already seen the barriers to making room and we've seen the breakthrough from making room. Thirdly and lastly, we see the blessings of making room at the table. And what I have in mind here is just looking at three people or three groups and how God changes them through what he does in this passage. First, the church. What happens with the church? Verse 18. When they heard these things, they fell silent, which means they had no further objection. But instead, they glorified God, saying that the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. But if you keep reading through Acts, you'll see an impact that it had on the church in at least two ways, a missional and a systemic impact. What do I mean by that? First, missional impact. Keep on reading through chapter 11. And when you get to the second part of chapter 11, what does it tell us about? 
It tells us about a church that's formed there in Antioch. That's the first church that's made up of both Jewish and Gentile believers. In fact, it's the place where the disciples are first called Christians. And that church ends up being taught by Barnabas and Saul. And that church ends up being the base for Paul's missionary journeys. Isn't that something? It opened the way for the gospel to go further, even even more. What about a systemic impact? You keep reading on until Acts 15, into really the first general assembly. And Overture 1 came from old school presbytery that said if these people are going to be a part of the church, they have to follow the law of Moses, they have to be circumcised. But thankfully, it was voted down. And there was a substitute motion that, that was brought forward. And the substitute motion was that we're not going to put a burden on them that we couldn't even bear ourselves. And thankfully, that motion passed. And so there was a systemic change as a result of what happened. What about Cornelius? Now, you go back and you read in in chapter 10. It says about him that he was a good man. He was devout. He was God-fearing. He gave to the poor. He prayed regularly, but guess what? He didn't know Jesus. He needed to hear the gospel and be saved. He did need to be made clean, but not in terms of his skin, but in terms of his sin. He needed to be made clean, not in terms of his race, but in terms of his heart. And so he was brought in, he and his household, come to know Jesus Christ. That's the blessing to them. What about to Peter? Well, the thing you see with Peter is interesting in that the preacher ends up learning. The preacher ends up having his vision of the gospel and the kingdom of God expanded. If you're reading the account in chapter 10, several times Peter comes and he says, you know what? I used to think this, but now I understand. I used to be here, but God has shown me that I was wrong before. And now he's shown me the right way. And so the preacher is changed through what happens here. So how do we apply these before we end? First, the church. Be quiet and praise God as we see what he's doing in our midst. What about systemic change? That's what we do at General Assembly. And so this has a purpose. And it makes way for the missional change. What's the missional change? Certainly in our churches, we should grow in our understanding of these issues so we can better reach out to the cultures around us. But here's another thing I want to throw out. We need to plant churches. And the churches we plant need to have this in our DNA. What we're just learning about and growing in now as existing churches, we need to have our new churches that have this in their DNA from the beginning. Just like the church at Antioch. Could it be that God uses what we do here, what we do in our overtures to make way for more churches being planted and more people coming into the kingdom of God through what he's doing in our midst right now? What about Cornelius? What do we learn from him? Maybe there's some of you that have come here tonight and you're like Cornelius, you're a good person. You do all the things that you believe God wants you to do. But that wasn't enough to save him. And it's not enough to save you. 
Cornelius didn't just need to turn over a new leaf. He needed to be given a new heart. And that's what happened. God granted, he gave repentance that leads to life. That means a change of heart and change of mind that leads to a change of action. If that's where you are tonight, cry out that you might receive this gift through Jesus Christ. Lastly, what do we learn from Peter? And this point is particularly for those that tend to be in the posture of teacher or leader all the time. Your posture needs to expand to be that of learner and listener so that you learn from the people around you. There's a, a book I was reading in preparation for this. It's called The Trouble I've Seen. And it's written by an African-American uh, pastor in Philadelphia named Drew Hart. And there's a story he shares early on in the book where he and, and a white pastor have gotten together because they're talking about some of these reconciliation and justice issues together. And uh, they're sitting at McDonald's. And they have between them a cup of sweet tea. Or if you're from the South, it's just tea. And uh, the, the white pastor looks at him and he says, on one side, it says sweet tea. But on the other side, it says McDonald's. And he says to Pastor Hart, he says, you know what? We really need each other's perspectives. Because from your side of the cup, you can see one side. From my side of the cup, I can see another side. And so you need to hear what I have to say. And I need to hear what you have to say. And Hart says that, in theory, that's good. But you, you're not taking that far enough. There's some things you don't understand. And he says, I don't have an option of whether I'm going to see the cup from your, your side or not. If I want to have, quote unquote, success in this world, I must see the cup from your perspective. I must learn your history. I must learn your music. I must learn your literature. I must learn your Christian history. I must learn your church history. Or else I wouldn't graduate from the places that I went. But he said, you know what? You have an option about learning about mine. Because your quote-unquote success is not tied to what you know about my history or what you know about me. But what I would add to this is if we want to see the impact of the gospel going forth, if we want to truly know each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, we have to know each other's history. And if we want to reach people that look like me, then you've got to know our history. And you say, well, what can we learn from you? Well, let me throw, let me give an example. And then I'm almost done. What does it feel like to be a Christian in politics right now? What does it feel like to be a Christian in the political climate of today? Might you be feeling marginalized? Like you don't have a voice? Like nobody speaks for you? Like you're, you're pushed off to the side. You're, you're persecuted. Like nobody cares you're around. You're misunderstood. You're misrepresented. All of that. Did anybody ever feel like that? Well, welcome to the world of being a minority. Because that's what it feels like. And so the good news is that in the midst of that, you can turn to your minority brothers and sisters and they can say, look, uh, excuse me, I know that it looks like the kingdom of this world is winning out right now. But I've seen this picture before. 
And I can tell you that his kingdom will never end. It will never pass away. It will never be destroyed. And so even though the circumstances look bad right now, his kingdom will never pass away. Or maybe you're here and you say, you know what? I, I feel like our church is marginalized. It's losing its saltiness. It's not having an impact anymore. I feel like it's dying out. Your minority brothers and sisters say, wait a minute. We've seen this before. We've seen people try to kill the church off. But what you find out is we don't die. We multiply. You'll get to, I'll explain that later. All right. And we remember those words of Jesus Christ who said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so you might feel discouraged right now, but it's all right. We've seen it before and God will get us through this as well. This is These are the blessings of making room. We've seen the breakthrough from making room and the barriers to making room. So where do we get the power to do this? Where do we find the strength to keep on going? When we get tired and we feel like giving up. When we try, but then we fail and we offend and then we're offended and we become hurt and angry. We're misunderstood and we misunderstand. Where do we find the power to keep on going? By looking continually to the one who's made room at the table for us. And that's only our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's a song that I love that captures it so well. It's called Jesus, Thank You. And the chorus says, your blood has washed away my sin. Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. I was once your enemy, but now I'm seated at your table. And so I say, Jesus, thank you. That's all of our stories. However you've come tonight, whatever race, whatever gender, whatever age, whatever background, his blood has washed away our sin. Whether it's sin of omission or sin of commission, whether it's racism or classism or gender, sexism, whatever it is, his blood has washed away our sin. Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath has completely been satisfied for our sin, whether it's sin of the past, sin of the present, sin in the future. Jesus, thank you. Because of our sin, we were once his enemy. But because of his grace, we're now seated at his table as beloved sons and daughters and brothers and sisters of one another. And so with all of our souls, we say together, Jesus, thank you. He's the one. He's the one who with his own body has torn down the barriers to making room at the table. He's the one who is in himself the breakthrough for making room at the table. He's the one who has graciously bestowed on all of his people all the blessings of making room at the table. And so, brothers and sisters, as we continue on this journey together, let us do so with our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ, the one who's made room at the table for us so that we might make room at the table for one another and a world around us that desperately needs to know it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for how you've made room at the table for us. Your son was broken for us. Your son was cast out. Your son was 
treated unjustly. Your son was wounded for our transgressions. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. Oh, Lord, we know that we get a lot of things wrong. But, Lord, we thank you for what you're doing in our midst. And we pray that you would continue to do so, continue to change us so that the world will know that you sent your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, what happens here again, we pray that it wouldn't stay here, but it would be felt in our lives when we leave this place. May you be glorified by what you do in us. We ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. You can hear more talks like this by subscribing to the Gifts and Graces podcast. You can also hear more content like this by attending a seminar at General Assembly. They're free and open to the public. Find out times and locations by visiting pcaga.org. Thanks for listening to Gifts and Graces.